Thanks for listening to this Grace Point podcast produced by Cave Media and presented by Grace Point Community Church in Decula, Georgia. For more about our church, please visit our website at yourgracepoint.com. That's point spelled with an E on the end, P-O-I-N-T-E. The website again is yourgracepoint.com. That's yourgracepoint.com. Now, here's Pastor Aaron Zielinski. So today we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines. And to start, though, I want you to think about the military, particularly drill. Anybody that's been in the military, you probably remember your time uh, doing the drill. Uh, Some people love that. Some people hate that. Some people, you may not even know what I'm talking about. Military drill is where you're marching with the rifle and, and doing movements with the rifle. And uh, you'll see guys, you know, they're standing there and they've got the rifle down and they bring it up and then they put it in their shoulder and, and they march with it and all that kind of stuff. That's a big part of basic training when you join the military. And when you first get there, it is the sloppiest, most unorganized, pitiful thing you've ever seen a group of people try to do together in your life. I'm telling you, you may have seen some disasters, but nothing like people brand new uh, in basic training trying to move their rifles all at the same time. It's awful. Especially when you go from order arms to port arms and you bring that rifle up and crack the hand guards against your, your, your hand there, it, it sounds like firecrackers going off with all these different rifles hitting at different times. But by about midway through getting towards the end, when, the, when everything's well, well done, when they give the command to port arms, you hear one crack of 100 rifles at the same time, one noise. You wouldn't know that there were multiple rifles moving at the same time. And, and it's like that for every movement that they do at that place, it's one sound. When you look down the row, you just see everybody in perfect alignment. It is amazing. But how do they get in such unison there? Practice. What else? Discipline, practice, 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 practice. You just keep practicing. That's what training is. When you do something over and over again until you can do it well, you're training yourself to do this thing. And in the military, that's a big part of training because it teaches you a lot of things like the instant obedience to the orders. When they give the command, you do it. Uh, Getting everybody to do it in sync, to do it exactly how you're supposed to do it, when you're supposed to do it. All of those things come into play. But for us, there's there's a lot of military language in scripture referring to the life of a believer. Um, But one of the things we've got to think about is how do we get in unison and in step with Christ? You know, when the military is doing their drill, they're all in step, they're marching in step. Paul speaks about being in step with the spirit. How do we get in step with the spirit? How do we get in, in unison loving one another as a community? How do we get in unison reaching out to our community with the love of Christ? A lot of the same things. Training, practice, disciplines. And for some, that might seem a little maybe cold for your walk with Jesus, but it's, it's exactly what we see in the scriptures. And that's going to become very, very clear here this morning. So we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines. And particularly, I want you to be thinking about these in terms of this next year. 
Okay, the beginning of a new year is, you know, we always talk culturally about New Year's resolutions. Uh, you see the gyms and rec centers swell up in January and then get back to what they used to be by February. But we want to talk about not just adding a new uh, kind of resolution, but what are some things you can change about your life over this next year? And I'm not saying just jump in with both feet in January, but give it thought, give it time throughout. By the end of this year, what sorts of things can you add to your walk with Jesus? Now, if you're familiar with the scriptures, you know the words spiritual disciplines as a phrase is not in the Bible. Okay, you're never going to be able to go to a concordance, look up spiritual disciplines and find verses on them. Uh, It's not like that. It's kind of like the word Trinity. It's not in the Bible. The word isn't, but the concept is all throughout it, that we serve one God who exists as Father, Son, and Spirit uh, all throughout Scripture, front to back. Same with spiritual disciplines. They are all throughout the Scriptures. And even Jesus talks about them, but he calls them practices of righteousness, in Matthew 6, which we'll get there here in, uh, in February as we jump back into Matthew, you're going to see Jesus say, beware of practicing your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. And then he goes on to talk about things like giving, praying, fasting. And he says, when you do these practices of righteousness, don't do them just to be seen by other people. And he tells us how to do them well. But these practices of righteousness are essentially spiritual disciplines. They're the things that we do uh, to grow in godliness. And we also see Jesus practice them regularly. As we go through Matthew, don't just pay attention to what Jesus is saying in his teaching. Take note of Jesus's lifestyle. Take note of the things that he does, the way that he lives life, because he didn't just come to teach. He didn't just come to die. He also came to model for us what life is supposed to be like well-lived, the way it was created to be lived. And one of the things we see in Jesus is uh, spiritual disciplines as a regular part of his lifestyle. These are things for us to do individually. They're also things for us to do corporately. And we'll talk about that some later, how we we do that. And you've known we've done these things as a body and we'll continue to do uh, those things as a body. But what we want to address is really uh, what, what they are, what are spiritual disciplines, in not just in terms of what are the, the list of disciplines, but what, what are they? What are they doing? Why are they important? Um, it, it's really not something that's optional. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to see that these things have got to be a part of your life in varying forms and fashions. But then where do we begin? How do we get started? What are some of the main things that we do as disciplines for the spiritual life, for our walk with Jesus to be able to grow in him? So number one, what are spiritual disciplines? When we think about spiritual, um, you know, especially in our culture, we get a lot of, you know, new age thought, Eastern thought coming in about spirituality. And we think about this kind of transcendent, um, non-bodily spiritual thing of this higher plane. And you you hear a lot of those sorts of things and comments, but spiritual disciplines are bodily habits that produce spiritual growth in our walk with Jesus. Okay, they are bodily habits that produce spiritual growth within us. And that may seem odd. You may think, well, so there, you mean there are things we can just do bodily that we grow spiritually? It's not like an automatic thing. Faith is still necessary. 
Okay, you can't just, and anything in your walk with Jesus, there is no magic formula, right? There is no, if you do A, B, and C, D is guaranteed to happen. That, that's just not the way that it works. But we do have promises, we see patterns, we see a, a lifestyle that we're called to live, and this is a part of it, but it's gotta be lived out within your walk with Jesus. In the same way, you think of something like baptism. That is a bodily thing that we do that has spiritual implications but you can't just grab some unbeliever, throw them in the tank and say they're a baptized Christian now. Apart from a commitment to Jesus, it's just a bath, right? Spiritual disciplines, apart from your walk with Jesus and the intent for it to be a part of your walk with Jesus are just religious rituals that you go through like the Pharisees who did all of the practices of righteousness, yet Jesus said their heart was far from him. So we don't want to mistake these habits and disciplines that we talk about for spirituality. But these things produce that when they're carried out in a walk with Jesus. But I wanted you to think about the relationship of your body and your soul. Okay, for some of you, this, this is going to be mind-blowing. Some of you, this is going to be like, I love this kind of stuff. Uh, for me, I love it. I love dealing with uh, some of these things of, of the mind and the body and the soul and how these things all relate. But it's really important to understand the only way we can grow spiritually is through things that we do bodily. It's impossible for you to grow spiritually apart from your body. You can't do that. If you think of any type of spiritual practice you can think of, we can discuss how the body is involved in that. But, and, and we're going to do that in a moment. But think about Adam. Okay, think about when God made Adam, because you see God breathe life into Adam and he becomes a living being. Okay, in Genesis 1 and 2, it says that God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. So God was the first sculptor. He created a clay sculpture of a man that was lifeless. It was just like a clay sculpture you might see today. It was just a man formed out of the dirt. But then God breathed into Adam and he became alive. Now it's interesting in Hebrew, the word breath is the same word that means spirit, that means wind. There's a lot of interplay there throughout the scriptures. But God essentially breathed his spirit into Adam and made him come alive. God breathed his soul into him. And the soul is infused all throughout your body. Okay, you, you have a non-material self that is your soul and you have a material self that is your body and, and really you are one being. That's how God made us as a whole, as a unity. But the body and the soul's relationship is, is a togetherness. Okay, if God breathed a soul into a box, it wouldn't change the box. Okay, all it would do is you would know the contents of the box. There's this container that now has a soul in it. Okay, if, if it was a vase, a bottle, any sort of container, that's what it would be. But our body's not like that. You are not a soul trapped in a body that's just kind of hanging out on the inside waiting for the body to die so you can go be with the Lord. You're not going to shed this body forever. We're going to be reunited with it in the resurrection. Okay, the body's not bad. It's a good thing created by God. When Paul talks about the sinful flesh, he's not meaning the sinful body um, because the, the body can be redeemed and it is in Christ. He's talking about the sinful nature. 
that has to die. But the body is a good thing. And when you think about how the soul is in the body, it's not like something in a container. Think of it like a towel that soaks up water. And that water is infused through every part of the towel. Okay, that's kind of what the, our soul is inside of us. You can't find the soul in the body. You can never look for, there was a big, you know, craze back in, in, the, in the day where they tried to locate the seed of the soul. You can't do it because it's all throughout and within you. But the soul, and because of that, you can only impact it in bodily ways. Even thinking requires the body. You know, you can't think without your brain. As long as you're in this life, you can't think without your brain. And if you don't think that's true, think about how physical bodily conditions impact your ability to think. When you're tired, when you're hungry, when maybe you're sick, how well does thinking go? You think rest is important to thinking? Don't sleep for two days and tell me how thinking is going for you. It's not going to go well. But if you're healthy, you're eating well, you're exercising, you're getting good rest, your mind is going to be sharp. Why? Because everything that we do, that we try to do mentally or spiritually, it's tied to our body. Think about some spiritual things. What are some spiritual things that we do? Praying. Praying. Can you pray without your body? No, because, I mean, for one, prayer is verbal. Prayer is inherently verbal. Jesus says, when you pray, say. Um, so you, you got to use your mouth to talk. Uh, but then you think, well, God hears my thoughts. True, he hears your thoughts, but we already covered how thoughts still require your body and your, your brain. So it, whether you're reading scripture, you're using your eyes, you're using your hands to turn pages, even if you're, say you're blind, you've got to use your fingertips to use Braille. Or if you're listening to scripture, you've got to use your ears to hear it. Anything that we do, love somebody. How can you love somebody without your body? No, you have to use your body to do loving things for people. If you want to be a blessing to somebody and go help them, you're using your body to do it. Everything is like that. In fact, you know, where we think of them, you know, some of the contemporary pop culture thoughts is to be spiritual, is to kind of like rise above the body and all these things. No, the most spiritual thing you can do is live your life the way Jesus did bodily. That is absolutely the most spiritual thing you can do is to do what Jesus did bodily. Helping the needy, loving other people, obeying the Father, proclaiming the kingdom. These are all things Jesus did bodily that, that epitomize spirituality. We can only grow spiritually in bodily ways. In Romans 12, Paul, Paul links these things together about how we, we do something with our body and it has a spiritual consequence. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now think about it. Notice he doesn't say present yourself. He says to present your body as a living sacrifice. You're not just offering yourself to God in, in this sense of, and we've, we've sowed 
gone in the wrong direction where we think of, well, Jesus died to save my soul and he gets my soul. You talk about people making a deal with the devil for their soul. You've, you've got to stop thinking about your soul and start thinking about your, yourself and primarily the way you live this life as yourself in your body. Because God says through Paul, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, now that doesn't seem odd anymore, does it? That offering your body can be a spiritual thing. It all makes sense when you think about how the body and the soul come together in the way that we're made. But look at also how things follow from this. When you offer your body as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship to God, then you have the opportunity to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then you're, you're transformed. Your mind is renewed because you've offered your body. And now by testing, you can discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So if you want to know what God really wants and how God wants you to live your life, it starts by offering your body to him as a living sacrifice, saying, God, my body, I'm going to consider my body dead to me. It is now alive to you and you can do what you want with it. I will live with this body however you call me to. That's a spiritual act of worship. And then you learn as you offer your body to not be conformed to the world, you get transformed through the renewing of your mind. And then you can really see and grasp what God is up to and how you can live your life in a way that's pleasing to him. Spiritual disciplines are the ways that we offer our bodies to God. It's the way that we train to be who we've been called to be. And this isn't just language I'm, I'm making up. This is language that is in scripture. Jesus in Luke chapter six says that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple. Okay, every follower of Jesus is a disciple. There's no such thing as being a believer, but not a disciple. Now, we've been called to be disciples, to be students of Jesus who learn from him in, in an apprentice-type relationship. And every one of us, when we're fully trained, will be like him. There's training that needs to take place. And we see Paul bring that up in, in his letter to Titus. He says that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So think about the grace of God, the message of salvation, the realities of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Those things are supposed to be training us on two fronts. On the negative front, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Right There are things we have to get rid of through training. Okay, notice it's not just an act of the will. If you just try to do everything by an act of the will and say, well, I'm not going to do that anymore, you're going to fail. I promise you, you will. You can look at your own life. You can look at anybody else's life. You can't just do this thing by sheer willpower. We can't do it. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the grace of God. And it's got to be something that is enacted over time with intentionality but you renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. But then you also have to add by living a life that is self-controlled, upright, and godly. So there are negative things we get rid of. There are positive things we have to embrace, but it all comes through the training that happens through the grace of God. 
Spiritual disciplines are means of appropriating God's grace into your life. You think, well, if God's giving me grace, how do I make use of that? Right? How do I walk in grace? You know, if somebody gives you uh, an axe to cut wood, you know how to take that axe and then use it to cut the wood. Well, if God gives you grace to overcome sin, how do you how do you grab a hold of that grace and then put it into your life so that you don't sin anymore? It's through the disciplines. They're means of appropriating God's grace into our life. And in 1 Timothy 4, this is one of my favorite passages uh, in all of scripture. He says, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And there's some interesting things in our culture, uh, man, in some ways we get hung up on, on worshiping the body in very unhealthy and inappropriate ways. And one of them is, is the extreme exercise kick. Um, we should take care of our bodies and be healthy, but we, we can't become obsessed and idolize our bodies. But physical training has value. Okay, he says bodily training is of some value. He didn't say bodily training is of no value. Okay, there's value to bodily training and exercise and fitness, and we need to to value that. But godliness, training for godliness is of value in every way, holding promise for this life and the life to come. Notice he didn't say it will make you fit for the kingdom when you die. He didn't say training in godliness is all about eternity. He said, training in godliness has value for the present life and the life to come. Because the kingdom is now. Jesus came and said, the kingdom is at hand. He didn't say, the kingdom will be here when I die, rise, and come again. He said, the kingdom is here. It's now. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The kingdom is here now. And we live in it. We live under God's gracious rule and reign now because Jesus said that all authority has been given to him. He's on the throne. His kingdom is now. We live in it now. You don't have to wait. But the way we grow in godliness and live in the kingdom now is through the training that comes in the disciplines. So that is what they are. They're bodily habits that produce spiritual growth and maturity in our walk with Jesus. And they have to, because our body needs changed. You know, there are places, you ever read where Paul talks about sin being in your members, talking about in your body parts? I've always thought that seemed kind of odd. What do you mean that sin is in my members? Sin is in my body parts. That doesn't even make sense. It's, it's a body. How does it do that? Well, if the body's the sort of thing that can have a soul infused in it, maybe there could be not good things infused in it as well. Did you know you can actually put information into your body parts? Think about it. When you learn how to play the piano, at first, you don't know what you're doing. You have to tell your hand, go here, move that note, do this note. But once you've trained your hands, you've actually put the information into your hands because you don't have to tell them what to do anymore. They just do it. When you watch somebody that's really good at playing the piano, they're not thinking about what they're doing. They're not having to tell their fingers where to go. They just do it because they've already told them so many times they just know what they do. We, we call that muscle memory. But it's actually information put in, in your hands. That's how the military drill thing works. Because by the end of boot camp, 
you're not thinking anymore. They speak, you respond. When they say jump, you don't ask how high, you just start jumping, right? That's, that's what it is. Well, eventually your body gets that way. And every one of us, the reason why we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind is because we've already been formed. And it's often, it's always not good. We've been formed by the world. We've been formed by sinfulness. We've been formed by all sorts of things and we have to be transformed. I talk about it with my kids. You know, you think about when, when one sibling comes by and hits another or says something they, you know, to irritate them, you know, the hand comes flying and they hit them. They didn't think about it. They didn't think. They just hit. It was a natural reaction. It is the default setting of their body to hit in response. And that's sinful, right? That's not treating them with kindness. Think about it again. One of some of my favorite low-hanging fruit is driving. Somebody cuts you off. What happens? Is it something you say that's ungodly? Is it something you do? You give them the old number one sign. I mean, if you do that, I promise you didn't sit there and think, you know, it would just make me feel great if I gave them the middle finger. I think I'm going to do that. And then you didn't do that. It just happened. If you cussed at them, it's not because you sat there and thought, you know, what would be the most appropriate thing for me to say right now? Hmm. I could say, I'm going to go with this and then said it. You didn't do that. You didn't think about what you were going to say. You just did it. Why? Because your mouth has sin in it. Right? Your tongue has been formed to say sinful things in quick response when somebody irritates you. And you have to transform that and get that sin out of your members so that you're not walking around cussing at people. You're not walking around hitting people. You're not walking around doing unchristlike things with your body. You've got to train the sin out of them by the grace of God. And again, it's always by the grace of God. It's not something you can do on your own. It's it walked out in a relationship with Jesus. But these are the things that he's taught us to do. This is how we train ourselves for godliness. Think about all of your walk with Jesus. Have you ever viewed it as a training program of godliness? Have you ever approached it that way? Because that's what scripture says. Train yourself for godliness. Because it has, it's valuable for this life and the life to come. So that's what it is. But why do we need it? Why are spiritual disciplines necessary? Because this might be a shocker. Getting saved is just the beginning. Okay, I mean that. Getting saved is not the end of the matter. When you committed your life to Jesus, and I don't even like the term get saved. Um, it's just not helpful for the way we think about it. Because the way our culture thinks about it is, well, I got to get saved. That means I've got to pray a prayer to commit my life to Jesus so that when I die, I can go to heaven. And that's not it. Jesus called us into a relationship with him. He said, follow me, walk with me, be with me, become like me. Remember what he said? He said, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Yeah, sure. Come just as you are. You can't stay as you are. You've got to start becoming more like Jesus in every way. We need to grow. We need to mature. 
It's, in, in fact, salvation, if you want to call it that, the, the moment of salvation where you committed your life to Jesus is just the beginning of a rest of your existence process of becoming like him. Not even the rest of your life, because even death is a mistaken notion as well. When you die, you don't cease to exist. You just begin to live outside of the body in a different realm until the resurrection happens. Nobody ceases to exist. A part of being made in the image of God and having the soul breathed into humanity by God and his Holy Spirit is that we are, in a sense, we are immortal. We're not eternal, but, but no human you know will ever cease to exist. We will exist for all of eternity. The conditions of that existence will vary, but nobody will cease to exist. That, that can't happen for something made in the image of God. But think about, I like to think about an acorn. Okay, you know, I, I was going to go grab an acorn. I didn't do it. But you know what an acorn is. It, it's a little nut, okay? We are all like acorns. Bunch of nuts. An acorn is not the same as an oak tree, is it? If I held up, there's a big oak tree here and there's an acorn here. And I said, which one's the tree? You can point. Which one's the acorn? You can point. We know there's a difference between an acorn and an oak tree. But the acorn can become an oak tree, right? It can. It has everything inside of it that, that needs to be there for it to become an oak tree. But nobody would mistake it for a tree. But when you put it in the right conditions, it can become a tree. Okay, but what we think when people get saved, remember, you're an acorn. When somebody gets saved, we say, oh, praise God, you're an oak tree now. You've changed. You're something new. You're a new creation. You're an oak tree. And we just imagine that churches are full of these oak trees, and they're not. The reality is salvation is not instantly becoming an oak tree. Salvation is when the acorn is buried in the dirt. Okay, because burial is the end of its previous existence as an acorn and the beginning of a process where it's going to become something different. A strong, healthy, big oak tree. That's why coming to Christ is death. Right? He says, die to yourself. We're buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. But it's just the beginning of dying and learning how to die daily and learning how to become something different. Just as that acorn, if you just throw it in the dirt and leave it alone, not much is going to happen to it. But if you put it in good soil and you water it and then there's sunshine as it starts to break through the, the ground and you keep the bugs away from it and you keep the, the weeds away from it, you keep um, animals from trampling on it or other things, then that thing can grow. And is it going to happen overnight? No, it's going to take time. Because in the first couple of years, this is going to be this little thing that's still very vulnerable, very susceptible to damage. It's not producing fruit. Uh, it's not reproducing other acorns. Uh, it, not at all. But give it enough time under still good, healthy conditions, and that thing will become an, an acorn-reproducing oak tree. That's the way our walk with Jesus is. When we commit to follow him, it's just the beginning of death to ourself. That's not the end of it. It's the beginning of it. And just like the acorn needs soil and water and sunshine, so we need spiritual disciplines to help and establish the right conditions by which we can grow and mature into who we've been created 
to be. That's what the disciplines are. And that's why we need them. Because just like no plant is going to grow without water, good soil, and sunshine, no believer is going to grow without actively engaging in disciplines in their life. And maybe that's why we see so many not mature believers in, in the church in the West. Probably globally, but you know we, we are in our culture and we see it. And we see the vast majority of churches are not just flowing over with mature believers. Because most of the time we just, we come to church on Sunday and we have a good time and then we go live our life and we come back the next Sunday. That's like just throwing an acorn out in the woods and hoping it turns into a tree one day. It's not going to happen. So where do we begin? What kind of disciplines can we instill into our life to help us grow? There's a core group of main sort of disciplines that would be indispensable for the life of a believer. There are many others. In fact, there are countless disciplines throughout scripture, throughout church history. And you can come up with any kind of discipline you want to help you grow in certain ways. You know, one thing, just myself personally, I'm not a very uh, thoughtful person in terms of expressing appreciation. Okay, and, and if Pastor Gina was in here, she would amen that one. I have to be purposeful. But something I've done and continue to try to do is to purpose to thank people for things that they do Uh, because the more that I do it, the more I'll get in the habit of doing it because that's not something that I just naturally do. It's not that I'm not appreciative. I just don't say it, don't talk about it. So I can develop a discipline that, okay, as soon as whenever this happens, I'm just going to say thank you immediately. Or if, you know, I get a card, I'm going to instantly get on the phone and make it a text at least and say thank you for the card. Um, But I've got to build that habit of doing it right away. You can do any of that would be a spiritual discipline because that's a, a good thing to do to express appreciation and thanks to people uh, to whom it's owed. But there are two books I want to recommend. Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. The Celebration of Discipline. In that book, he kind of catalogs a large number of disciplines. Each chapter is a different discipline, explains what it is, how it works, how you can apply it, ways that people have applied it throughout church history. Very, very informative. A second book, The Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. Now that is a challenging read. It's not written on a kindergarten level. It is written at, a, at an academic kind of level. So if you, if you like a good challenging read, it's for you. If not, it's not for you. You won't enjoy it. Um, you won't finish it to not enjoy it. So, um, but it's very, very good. And he doesn't catalog them. It's just a philosophy of explaining what the disciplines are and how they work and why they work and how that's a part of our life in Christ. I would encourage both. If, if you're able to digest them both, go for it. You'd, you'd benefit. But often they're, they're divided into two different camps. Um, disciplines. Disciplines of engagement and disciplines of abstinence. Okay, and we we already saw a hint of that in the passage of, of Titus where the grace of God trains us to renounce certain things and to embrace certain things. 
There are disciplines of abstinence, disciplines of engagement, and we're just going to look at a couple of them this morning. We'll start with disciplines of engagement. Things you add to your life, things you do. Number one is the intake of scripture. Okay, this is the most single, most foundational discipline that you can have in your walk with the Lord. And some would say prayer should be number one. I would say prayer is like 1B to scriptures 1A because where do we learn to pray? From the scriptures, right? Where do we measure, engage the experiences we have in prayer? Scripture. It's our our guide, our rule for faith, for practice. Um, Everything has to be measured by scripture. There's a lot of different things you can do with scripture. Read it study it, meditate on it, memorize it. You can pray the scriptures, um, all sorts of things. And I would encourage you to, to do something. Figure out some way this year that you're going to add the intake of scripture to your daily life and walk with Jesus. If you noticed out on the table, there are some of these little cards. Um, I, I print these out every year. It's just a little checklist to get through. It's essentially three chapters a day will get you through the Bible. It's small enough to fit in your Bible. It only takes, you know, maybe 10 to 15 minutes to read three chapters a day, and you can read through the Bible. And I'm, I'm good with, we need both quantity and quality of reading. Okay, you need the time that you take a passage a week and you just study what we're going to be preaching through or whatever other book you want to go through yourself. But there's also a place for quantity, for just force feeding the scriptures. And some of it, well, then it's just gonna become like getting a check in a box. And I say, great, get your check in the box. I don't even care because it's a good thing. If you get that check in the box and you might think, well, I read through the whole Bible this year and I don't remember very much of it. That's fine. Do it again the next year. And then do it again the next year. Because after five years, when you've read through the whole Bible five times, the familiarity with everything has increased substantially. Substantially. And you think, well, okay, maybe I could see a couple times. But think about it. If you just keep doing it, after 20 years, you've read through the entire Bible cover to cover 20 times. You think you're going to be a little more familiar with it all? Your base of your foundational knowledge to work with has grown exponentially. Then when you read Paul talking about things with Abraham and, and Hagar and Sarah and Isaac and Ishmael and Jacob and Esau. You know who these people are. You know the stories. Even if you don't know all the details, what Paul is saying or what Jesus is referencing, it makes sense. And you're never going to get to the point where you've read through the Bible 20 times unless you start reading through it the first time. Okay, so there's, there's absolutely a place for just reading to read and shove it in there, Right? Garbage in, garbage out. Well, good stuff in, good stuff out. Just keep putting the scriptures in. Something else I'm doing, if you notice, there are two different ones out there. One has blue uh, on it, and that's one just going through the Bible from front to back. One that has red, what what do red letters always point to? Jesus's words, this is the gospels. Something I'm gonna do this year personally is read through all four gospels every month. And it's the same, three chapters a day, you'll get through all four gospels every month. So by the end of the year, you have read through all four gospels 12 times. And that couple that with, we're studying through Matthew's gospel right now anyway, man, the way this could impact your study of the gospel and your understanding of who Jesus is and what he did and what he was saying and why he was saying it and how we can live like him, 
it's, it's going to be impacted tremendously if you do something like that. I would encourage it. And if we run out, that's okay. I can print more. But secondly, prayer. You've got to be praying. And you've got to be praying individually, and you've got to be praying with God's people. When you see the church in Acts, they prayed together. I would encourage you, come to prayer on Wednesday nights at 7. And we've got some ways we're, we're thinking through how we can make that time more impactful, more prayer-focused. Um, so th- there's going to be some tweaks, some changes coming to that Wednesday night time to try to make it more effective. Um, but the most effective way it can be for you is, is if you're here. Wednesday night prayer will not benefit you if you're not here praying with us. Um, But that's something we see in scripture that they did. The believers, they loved to get together and call out to God together and to pray for one another. It's something we should love to do and be excited about. Um, But also in, in your own prayer time, if you're not in a habit of praying every day, start. Even if it's just five minutes. And you might think, well, five minutes, that's kind of cheap. Well, you know, if you're not in the habit of praying, five minutes is a long time to sit there wondering what you're going to do next. So just set an alarm or a timer, a stopwatch for five minutes and just, hey, I'm just going to do this for five minutes. And when it goes off, I'm going to say, amen, Lord, I'll talk to you later and go about your day. Just start there. And eventually you'll realize, okay, five minutes isn't enough. So set it for 10 minutes and go with 10 minutes. And just keep building as you develop a prayer life and, and your time with God. And, and if you're not sure what to do, come talk with me or one of the elders, one of the pastors. We can help, help get you going on, on what to do in your prayer times. But you've got to have regular time in prayer and in the scriptures. Those are the most important things. If you, if you don't have regular time in scripture and in prayer, you will not grow and mature in Christ-likeness at all. That's, that's a guarantee. It will not happen won't happen. Third, fellowship. Engagement with people. Sometimes people get on, well, that church is just a social club. Well, we want to be more than just a social club, but we don't want to be anything less. Right? We've got to be spending time together with each other, and just seeing each other here isn't enough. If you only see each other on Sunday mornings, that, that's not really being committed to the fellowship of the believers. We've got to build relationships with each other beyond this room on Sunday morning. And even Wednesday nights isn't, you know, Sunday and Wednesday, that's great. We're, we've just doubled. Think about that. If you start seeing people twice a week, that's a 100% increase in the amount of time you spent with them. That's a good place to start. But then add in a life group, add in you just invite them over to your house for dinner or to hang out or you want to go bowling together. Just do stuff with people here. Build those relationships, grow in the fellowship, but that's a discipline. It's something you have to purpose to do or you're not going to do it. Fourth, and we don't often talk about this, but um, this is another thing we're going to start adjusting and having some time during the service to talk about confession, right? We've got to be confessing our sin. And usually we think, well, you know, Catholics, they, they got to go to the priest and confess. And we, we think that's unbiblical. So we don't do that. I just talk to God. Well, you know, scripture says, confess your sins to one another. It's not just between you and God. I'm not sure who told you that, but the Bible didn't. Confession is, is a personal thing, but it's also a corporate thing. We need to have somebody that we're confessing our sin to be, besides God. And I promise you there's a difference. Because you might tell God all about it, but you still feel awkward talking to somebody else. 
because there's still something there, right? We've got to bring our sin out into the light. And that doesn't mean you just blab it to a stranger, but, but there's got to be somebody in your life, whether it's a spouse, a sibling, a good friend, one of the pastors or elders, but you've got to have somebody that you can confess your sin to. And as we talk about maybe um, before communion or during our time of communion, we're going to have uh, some time not necessarily to confess specific sin, but just to confess and ask God for forgiveness and reaffirm the words of scripture that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. So you are forgiven. But that is a discipline that we need to do, a habit we need to be in. Now, some disciplines of abstinence, fasting, probably the biggest one, uh, discipline of abstinence is where you typically go with no food, just drinking water. That's a normal biblical fast. No food, only water. Ways that can be amended, sure. Um, but develop some fasting in your life. Whether it's a meal a week, maybe a, a day a week, maybe a week or a day a month, a weekend a month, a three-day fast every month, um, whatever. Something between you and God, work it out. There's no requirements for how much or how long we fast, but it's expected by Jesus that we do fast. We'll see that also in Matthew chapter six. Um, But that's a great way of dying to yourself, of telling your body no. Because when you get hungry, you start doing all kinds of crazy things, right? We start thinking different. We get irritable with people. We get a headache going on and we really got to eat. You've got to learn to not let your body run the show. You tell your body what to do. Fasting is one of the best ways you can get control of your your bodily appetites and urges that even go beyond hunger. It's training you to be in control of your body, training your body to be in subjection to you and your will. Silence. Abstaining from talking. And typically being talked to as well. This is something we, we need to practice it desperately in our culture. We are way overstimulated. We're constantly bombarded by noises and lights and sounds and information. We need to get some silence. Even if you just say, I'm just going to take, maybe start small again, five minutes. And just go be alone with nothing going on for five minutes. Not talking to God. Not having music playing. Just silence, listening, let God speak. Maybe read some scripture and then listen. And then the same, just keep adding time to it. Something that's often coupled with that, but can be practiced alone is solitude. Where you get away from people and just be alone. We need that too. Maybe if you, if you live alone, maybe that's pretty easy for you to do. But if you, if you, if you're married, you're kind of, kind of awkward, like, honey, go away for a little bit. I want to be alone. That's not really a good way to do that either. If you've got kids, it can be even more challenging. Um, one of the things that Gina and I do is we oftentimes once a month or maybe every other month, we'll just uh, get a spot at Fort Yargo, take the camper out there, uh, like for just her. I'll stay at home with the kids and she'll just go get 24 hours alone. Or I'll do that. I'll go out for days. Sometimes we'll do two nights. She'll do one day and I'll do the next day. You've got a purpose to do it. Maybe for you, you go get a hotel room. Maybe you go to a bed and breakfast somewhere. Uh, Go up to Helen for a day, whatever. Find some ways to get alone, get out in the woods, go to a hotel, whatever, but just be alone 
away from people, away from the noises, away from life, turn the phone off. Yes, you'll live, promise. We used to live without cell phones. We made it. We've got to do it. We've got to learn to separate ourselves and to hear God speak. Silence and solitude are a tremendous way of doing that. But those are all the ones we're going to talk about. Again, there are countless other ones you could get into. But the main thing I want you to take away is just understanding what the disciplines are and why they're so necessary for us to grow. And then talk through it, either just, you know, think through it between you and the Lord, talk through it with your spouse, with your family. What are some disciplines you can add to your life or what disciplines can you do differently? You know, for me, again, I'm, I'm reading through the scriptures every year. Um, I'm committed to that. I've been committed to that for a while now, and I'm not going to change that. And if people feel like, well, that's pretty routine. Sure it is. You eat every day too, right? You don't worry about eating becoming too routine. It's pretty good for eating to be routine. Um, The same with the scripture. But what I'm changing is doing the through the gospels every month. I've never done that before. But I want to I want to change things. I want to find ways that I can increase my intake of scripture and be more fruitful with it. Last year, um, Jordan did it with me. We read through the whole, well, all the scriptures twice. We read six chapters a day. Did it twice. That was great. I'm not doing that again this year. Once is enough, but I'm adding the gospels to it. Uh, so just wrestle with how you can adjust your scripture reading, your prayer times, uh, maybe add some confession as a regular thing. Maybe once a week, you and your spouse to sit down and say, hey, let's confess our sin to one another. Even, and it doesn't have to be like some horrible thing you've been hiding for years. If that's there, you need to confess the sooner the better. But typically, like just analyzing your life and saying, you know, I mean, I realize when I respond this way to you, I'm being very selfish. And I just want to confess my selfishness and ask you to forgive me and ask God to forgive me. Make that a purpose to do that regularly, whatever. I mean, there are all sorts of ways we can grow in these things, but we've got to be growing in them. And as we grow in the disciplines, we'll be growing in the Lord. And then before you know it, we will be a church filled with these massive, beautiful oak trees of mature believers in their walk with the Lord who have trained themselves in godliness and benefit now and in the age to come. Thanks for listening to this Grace Point podcast produced by Cave Media and presented by Grace Point Community Church in Decula, Georgia. For more about our church, the website again is yourgracepoint.com. That's yourgracepoint.com. Until next time, God bless you.